Good morning. Good morning. Yes. Yeah, a little participation. That's good. Well, man, I feel like this is Welcome Back Sunday. You know, it's summertime, a lot of vacations, trips to the lake, seeing family and so forth. Uh, good to see a lot of familiar faces and some new faces. So if you're joining us today for the first time or maybe the first time in, uh, or you maybe just been here a couple of weeks, my name is Brad, and uh, I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here at at Fellowship Hellsippy. Glad that you're with us today. Uh, we have been walking slowly for the last several weeks through the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling this series The Upside Down Kingdom. And the reason we call it The Upside Down Kingdom is Jesus is painting a portrait of his kingdom, and he's painting a portrait of what the kingdom people look like, what people in his kingdom, how they live, how they function. And it's upside down from what we know to be common. It is different than our reality. Uh, what we are seeing in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus describe what it looks like when he reigns and what his plan for human flourishing is. The Sermon on the Mount is both theological. Jesus helps us see that the Old Testament is not disconnected from the New Testament, but rather in the New Testament, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He's all of that. Um, it is practical. The Sermon on the Mount shows us that who we are and what people experience in us doesn't start from the outside and work its way in, but rather who we are is in our hearts and it begins to work itself out. Our attitudes, our behaviors, how we uh, live as neighbors, our desires, uh, the spiritual aspects of our life, generosity, prayer, our integrity, all of these things begin in the inside, work themselves out, and when they do, the kingdom of God begins to take shape in our lives. The more we are aware of God's kingdom, the more our eyes are open to his redemptive purposes, and the more we see that he is inviting us into his story, that he's actually inviting all of us to be a part of his kingdom. If you're here today and, and that's new to you, maybe you're, you're, you're fresh with us here at Fellowship Pellissippi, God has invited you to be a part of what he's doing. He is writing an, incre an incredible redemptive story, and you have been invited to be a part of that, a supporting actor or actress in his story. And so today, we're going to do something a little bit different. You probably noticed they put the stools behind me. Today, we're going to take a break from me kind of delivering the traditional sermon, and you're going to hear the sermon through stories, through testimony of what it looks like when the, the kingdom begins to take root in the lives of ordinary people living ordinary lives, but God, when he invites you into his journey and you say yes and you faithfully obey, shows up and does something extraordinary. So I want to start, I want to help lay the ground for us where we began, and that's back in Matthew chapter 5. I want us to revisit the audience that Jesus is delivering the sermon to. So here's what Matthew chapter 5, you got your Bible, Matthew 5. We'll just look at the first two verses. If you don't, don't worry about it. It'll be on the screen behind us. Jesus is launched out in his ministry, uh, Matthew 3 and 4. And then there's this moment here where Jesus goes up on a hill and he delivers a sermon that's famous. It's the most famous sermon in the Bible. And here's what it says. Here's Matthew's description of its beginning. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, I want us to think about that phrase, his disciples come to him. So there's, there's a lots of people following Jesus. Man, if you can do what Jesus has done, if you can, in kind of sensational ways, become this attractive force because of both how you teach, how you live, the miracles you do, the people you treat differently than what people have experienced. It become, there's this crowd that begins to gather and follow Jesus. But among that larger crowd that's following Jesus is a smaller crowd, right? The crowd that we typically call the 12, the disciples. They later become the apostles. They're there, and Jesus began to teach them. Now, here's what I want you to do for just for a moment. I want you to consider the 12 that Jesus chose to be his inner circle, to be, to be the genesis of his movement that we know as the church. These are the men that Jesus began investing in, preparing for the task of carrying out his great commission, his disciple-making uh, movement that would change the world. And I want you to think not just about these men, but I want you to think I want you to put yourself in the, in, the, in the sandals of Jesus, so to speak. If you're going to change the world, 
If you're going to alter reality for humankind forever, who are the people you pick to be on your team? I mean, surely we want to pick scholars. We want to pick people with significant financial resources to be backers and supporters of the movement. We probably want someone or a couple of someones who have political influence, who have uh, some strings that they can pull in the inner circles of both Roman life in the New Testament, but also in, in, in the Jewish life, because that's where it began. You want some elites, but that's not who Jesus picks. Jesus chose extraordinarily ordinary people, regular people. Now, we've romanticized the disciples and apostles a bit, I think, and so I don't know that we think of them as ordinary. Have you ever romanticized something from your childhood and then your kids come along and ruin it for you? Like that happened to me the other day. I grew up on MacGyver. Anybody grew up on MacGyver? It's my ringtone. Thank you. I mean, get you some duct tape. Like you, I literally fixed my boy's bicycle's tires with duct tape the other day. I like got another two or three days out of the bicycle tire. So I love MacGyver, and so I've got Riley, and I, I want to introduce Riley to this great TV show of my childhood. And it's on Netflix. And so we watch it. And I'm, I, I want her to like it. But I'm, as I'm watching it, I'm realizing the production value of MacGyver in the eight, 1980s was not as good as I remembered it. <clears throat> and she was really kind to me. Like, her heart was warm. And she, like, tolerated one episode but did not want to watch any others. Like, you have those moments where it's just you remember it being greater than it really was. I think sometimes how we think about the 12 are, is the same way. If you go to Europe, you might see extraordinarily stained glass uh, depictions of the 12 with halos, or you might see robust, marbleized statues. Uh, but the truth is, they're ordinary, human in every way, just like us. Matter of fact, locally, uh, they were oftentimes referred to as Galileans. Now, that was not a mere description of where they grew up, it was a derogatory term. It meant that they were commoners, uh, they were nobodies. Uh, they, they were 12 men made up of uh, fishermen, <clears throat> a, a respectable but ordinary trade. Uh, the leader was Peter. I like to think of him as the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth. Everywhere Peter goes, he's impetuous, he speaks way before he thinks, and he ends up having to apologize, show that he was wrong. He overpromises and underdelivers. James and John were known as the sons of thunder, and that was not a compliment. That was a way of chiding them for being overly zealous, uh, prone to pride. Their mother was pretty interesting, too. <clears throat> you ever have an overbearing mother who might want to get in your business too much? Their mother went to Jesus and was trying to bargain with Jesus for James and John, her sons, to get like preeminent status in the kingdom. A uh, little bit of dysfunction there with James and John's mother. Matthew, the author of this gospel that we're reading, that's describing the account of the Sermon on the Mount, was a tax collector. But he was a Jewish tax collector. Now, if you've got familiarity with the New Testament, that was like uh, the, the number one person of irrepute was the tax collector. Because the way tax collecting worked in the Roman government, a tax collector would be signed a particular portion of a province or a region, and he had to exact a certain amount of taxes for the Roman government, and whatever he could get through manipulation or through a show of force, he could get for his own. And so tax collectors literally robbed people. And if you're a Jewish tax collector, you were doing it to your brothers who were already occupants of the Roman Empire. So you, you were like a double betrayer. That's Matthew, who now in his former life was a tax collector, now is one of Jesus' 12. Sitting on the other side of the table of Matthew is a guy named Simon. Now you and I most prominently know Simon Peter, but there's another Simon, lesser known of the 12, and he was a zealot. That was one of the four major political parties at the time, and the zealots wanted nothing more than to see the Roman Empire crumble. They were uh, totally intolerant of the Roman occupation and, would, and believed that the Romans needed to fall by any means necessary, and the zealots were actually famous for violent assassinations and so forth. And so you've got Matthew, 
a guy who was an employee of the Roman government on one side of the table, and you've got Simon, a guy whose life mission is to see Rome fall on the other side of the table. These are the people that Jesus picks and puts in his circle. Thomas was a pessimist. Maybe you heard growing up that he was a doubter. I don't know that he doubted that much. He just kind of, when, when they were getting ready to go through a troubled neighborhood and they were public enemies, number one, Thomas's attitude was just like, let's go and let's just die. Like, let's just, let's, just, let's just die. Let's just do it. I mean, you love Thomas. He was a six on the Enneagram, for those of you who are Enneagram people. Um, <clears throat> these were ordinary men. And these ordinary men were surrounded by other ordinary men and women, but they were available and obedient to Jesus' call. And they didn't perfectly obey. They messed up all the time, but they kept following. And Jesus, because they took obedient steps of faith and they followed him, used them in extraordinary ways. I want you to think about this. I mean, there's this tiny band that is a minority in an impressive, an oppressive and impressive Roman Empire. And today, you and I know their names. You can't name me unless you're a, a, a first century historian who's teaching in the local high school community college. You can't name me 10 other people who lived in the first century, but you know the names of these guys, and there's a reason why. It's not because of how amazing they were, but it's their God, it's Jesus, who did something extraordinary with their steps of obedience. So here's what we want to do today. We believe the kingdom established by God is around us today, and you and I, as, as uh, ordinary people, are invited to be a part of that. And I want you to hear some stories from your brothers and sisters here in our church who are a part of what God is doing. God has worked in their heart, and they have recognized and seen God's call and have said yes, and are seeing the kingdom begin to unfold around them. So the first couple that I want to invite up with me is John and Hannah Hill. John and Hannah, would you guys come on up? And would you guys make John and Hannah feel welcome? John and Hannah, uh, have been serving here at Fellowship Pellissippi uh, really since the beginning. Uh, they lead a life group, uh, but they're also involved in missionary work. And God has put a special call on their hearts for the nation and the people of Nicaragua. And, uh, but that call uh, began a long time ago. And what I've asked John and Hannah to do is share a little bit about how God has worked in their hearts over the last few years to lead them to this moment. Um, well, one of the biggest highlights in our spiritual journey is when we started going to Fellowship Middlebrook about nine years ago, um, and that was the first time that we had really learned about um, God's grace and how powerful it is to um, just give us freedom in our faith, and um, so once we kind of learned about that and we're kind of walking and growing in that... Um, it was then that John kind of started to discern just some steps of obedience that the Lord was calling us to. So I'll let him talk about that. Yeah, so during that, wow, it's loud. Uh, during that time, um, I ran into Kyle, uh, introduced through a mutual friend, and uh, he said, man, you gotta, you gotta meet this guy. And we had a great life at, at Middlebrook, and we had a great community, and so, uh, I wasn't interested, so after a couple of weeks, I said, okay, and I talked to Kyle, and Hannah and I went and had breakfast with him, and then, um, you know, I started praying about what he, what he had been saying, because that was where I felt God was leading me to be more obedient and, and stepping outside of a comfort zone, and so uh, the rest is history. We joined the Pioneer team, um, and about three or four months after we had the kickoff here at Carnes High School, um, a men's group got started. <clears throat> and uh, honestly, that was probably the largest growth for me. Uh, that's when I really discovered um, the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, who I was in Christ, who I wasn't anymore, uh, being vulnerable, and what uh, community actually meant. And through praying with these guys and then getting to know the other uh, like 90 pioneers at the time as we all walked uh, through that, 
God put something else in my heart, and that was to start a life group. And he specifically uh, said that we should teach on the book of Acts. So um, we began teaching through the book of Acts, and when you teach something, you have to learn it better than um, just when you're learning it. And so uh, we were really challenged by just the way that the early Christians kind of um, lived out their faith and their community that they had with one another. And so um, one of the things that came up early on is there were some people in our life group who wanted to go down to Nicaragua. And one of them was leading the trip and a few others were going with him. And so we decided out of support for our community group that we were gonna go down to Nicaragua with them. And it wasn't really anything that we necessarily felt called to. Um, other than just to support um, those in our community around us. And so that was kind of the beginning of it um, when we started in Nicaragua. And it kind of came full circle um, because while we were down there, we just saw the need for um, just the freedom of uh, the grace teaching message that we got when we went to Middlebrook and how... Um, much people needed that down there. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where it all began. Yeah, and that's, that's so true. Regardless of culture, where you're at in the planet, the gospel, the good news, we all need it. We all need it. So you guys have begun uh, setting aside your resources, your time. Matter of fact, you spent several weeks this past summer in Nicaragua. As you've been obedient, Maybe share with us a little bit about what you've seen God do. What, what is the fruit of those steps of faith that God has God kind of allowed to fr- uh, flourish? Um, so the biggest way that uh, we've seen God work is relationally and spiritually um, with us a lot, but also with um, the folks down there in Nicaragua. Um, and so we've seen relationships grow where maybe some of the youth down there need like a spiritual mother or a spiritual father mm. to invest in their lives. And um, just to even just show that they care um, is so powerful. Um, and we've seen a lot of people who are already doing ministry down there who um, are just kind of alone and need encouragement or um just a building up and support of what they're already doing down there. And since we're not down there full time, um, we really saw that as just an appropriate way to, to serve, is just to go down and, and be a brother or a sister to um, the folks that are already down there serving. Um, and then of course, uh, we have started to do some stuff with discipleship, um, relationally with other believers down there and, and teaching, and um, that's, that's a big part of my heart is, is teaching, and so we've seen a lot of growth and a lot of fruit from that. Yeah, so on a personal note, um, what, what it came down to was uh, it was eye-opening for me uh, to see um, the body of Christ as actually just one body. So it's real easy to separate out we're here at Pellissippi, we're here in Tennessee, and then there's the mission field. And, and so the, one of the, the biggest things that had happened to me down in Nicaragua was that I was welcomed as just a visiting brother, uh, and it kind of blew me away. Um, and so over, over these past three and a half years, I have really pressed into uh, other people that, that I talk with about um, that we are one body, uh, no matter where we're at, what our circumstance is. Um, it, it's the community of believers and, and how important uh, being involved in a community is. Um, it's easy to become isolated, whether that's through shame or you're just in a different place. But uh, without fellowship with other believers, I mean, we're kind of dead in the water. Mm. Um, and so it has been a real goal of mine to, to really reach out uh, here because we have a twofold mission here in Nicaragua. This is just as important to us as Nicaragua. Uh, you all are our church family, and uh, it, we want to go down there and represent you all, but, but important, more importantly is 
the, the things that you all give to us that we can take down there and the things that we're given from our brother and sisters down in Nicaragua that we can bring back here. Uh, and so it's a mutual benefit, uh, beneficial relationship uh, in the body of Christ and, and in our community. That's a, one more question for you. I didn't, I didn't prep you for this one. <clears throat> Hannah, where'd you go to seminary? I did not go to seminary. <laughs> All right, so that's, that's no knock on seminary. Went to seminary. It's a great training. But what is your, uh, what's your profession? What's your job? I'm a teacher. Yeah, what do you teach? I teach English as a second language. All right, and John, what's your profession? I'm a nurse. All right, and so you guys are able to use what you do in the ordinary way here uh, through the power of God, through this partnership in Nicaragua there. And so uh, my, my hope in, in what you hear from John and Hannah today is that you see two people who are, are like you and me, uh, who God worked on over a course of time, little bit by little bit, this step of faith, that step of faith, and it's those steps of faith that add up to be able to engage in this calling that God gives you. So thank you guys so much for representing us so well and for your work in Nicaragua. Would you guys share them some love? <laughs> so here's what I want us to do. I, I want us to do more than just uh, hear stories from other people. I want us to reflect for a couple of moments on, God, how, how are you working in my life? Matter of fact, here's the question I want us and you and I to take a two or three minutes pause on and to pray. And I want us to pray this, Father, uh, what do you want to change in my life so that you can use my life the way you want? Uh, for John and Hannah, it was putting them in a new community that caused them to begin to lead and serve in different ways that opened up these doors of opportunity. For you, it might be a, a, a career, a job. It might be where you live. It might be simple as just changing the bedtime routine with your kids. But I want you to take a couple of minutes with me. I want us to pray and ask ourselves, God, what do you want to change in my heart and in my life so that I might be more available for what you're calling me to do. Then we're, when we've finished a couple of moments, I'll close this out in prayer. Father, I don't know what you're calling all of us in this room to do. Uh, for some, it may be uh, to have one less Starbucks a week so that they can uh, be more generous to those who have less. For others, it might mean to watch 30 minutes less of SportsCenter or Netflix or whatever it is, to, to be a little bit more intentional with their children at home and investing spiritually and discipling them. Uh, for others, it might mean to say yes to the mission field or to ministry or to another step of faith. Whatever it is, here's what we know. We know that you are good, that you're trustworthy, that you're faithful, that you never break a promise, and you are great. You can do more than we can even imagine. Lord, you took 12 ordinary people and reframed history for all that there is. And Lord, you want us to be obedient and you want to write the story of your kingdom in our hearts and those whom we come in contact with. Lord, give us the courage to say yes when you call. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So our next story is going to come from Laura and Cora Barr. I want you, Laura and Cora, I want you guys to come on up. One of the things about Jesus that makes him so extraordinary is, is he is unable to be pigeoned into one corner or one category. When you think about Jesus and we think about God and the story of the, of the Bible, he is for and he is in pursuit of all people. In the New Testament, Luke 15, you've got the classic story of the older brother and the younger brother. The younger brother's rebellious externally, and he goes off, and he does his own thing, and he sows his wild oats, etc., while the older brother is rebellious in his heart, but through pious self-righteousness. And the beauty of Jesus in that moment is he goes after the younger brother, 
and wants him back, and he also goes to the older brother. Uh, throughout the scriptures, uh, Abraham, God pursues Abraham and uses Abraham, and Abraham was wealthy. And yet throughout the scriptures, God pursues those who are poor and who are needy. Uh, but one of the things that you see all throughout Scripture, when Jesus introduces himself, he oftentimes introduces himself as the father to the fatherless, the advocate, the champion of the widow and of the poor. And one of the things that we see is it is, is incredibly possible for God to take ordinary people and bring extraordinary dignity and joy into the lives of other people. And so Laura and Cora are here. Good to see you guys. Here we go. Uh, Laura and Cora are a part of a group of people. Uh, Julie Hanks participates here in our church. I know others have, even a couple from our uh, sisters over at Middlebrook, in Thursday morning coffee chats. So, Laura, why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yeah, so um, we go downtown. There's um, an apartment complex called Nivilla Volunteer Ministry Center. Um, started that as a housing first um, community to get people off the streets, people who have classified as chronically homeless, they have to meet certain criteria, they get off the streets into permanent housing, but they have to meet certain standards, um, certain criteria, and then they're given this community and this kind of opportunity for um, a new start of life. Yeah, so they've got mutual support there, and uh, some people uh, in our church, in our community, saw an opportunity to go and just bring dignity and conversation and love. Tell us a little bit about what happens on the Thursday mornings. Yeah, so um, Julie Hanks and Annabelle and her family, I think they've been going for like six years. So a long-term ministry where um, we go usually for um, two times a month. We make a really nice or try to make a nice home-cooked meal um, and just be present with the people. So we serve coffee and usually breakfast, sometimes lunch, and just spend some time. And because it's a consistent thing, we have the opportunity to build relationships, um, hopefully to start bringing some healing um, to you know people who have been just disenfranchised or struggle with abandonment issues. Everybody has a story, right? And um, so yeah, just to try to bring some dignity yeah. um, and some love and care mm -hmm. into a pretty hard place. That's good. What I love about it is, uh, is resourcing um, ministries like this is so important, and I don't want to discredit that, but just the tangible of sitting down. we got some photos here of, of sharing a meal, of doing something that we do on a regular basis as ordinary, and uh, we, just, we just come to their apartment. We come to their house and share in this human experience. So, Cora, I want to ask you something. So this thing of God's mission is not just for people who graduate high school, right? So uh, it is God invites. As a matter of fact, Jesus is careful and actually creates a little controversy because he is so dead set on making sure that people know that children are part of his kingdom and get the servant's kingdom. So, Cora, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you get to do and why it's important to you. At Manvilla Coffee Chat, I make the coffee, which is really important since it is coffee chat, and I help serve drinks and food. And um, I talk to the people there and help take their food back to the spots where they sit. And, Cora, how old are you? I'm nine years old. All right. So when you're down there, are you, are you nervous or scared? Um, at first I was, but after I started going, I started getting used to it, and now I look forward to going. That's awesome. So, uh, Cora, Laura, um, how have you maybe seen God at work because of what you guys are doing in the ministry? I've seen God at work for me to help me... Um, get used to it and to get excited about going in and excited to start helping serve people. Mm. Like relationships. Mm -hmm. And getting relationships with the different people. My brother James and this um, sweet guy there named Jonathan um, calls my little brother um, his little brother. Mm. That's awesome. Well, Laura, Cora, Thank you so much for serving there on a regular basis, being faithful, Cora. Thanks for leading the way 
and uh, maybe even inspiring some of the adults in our, conversa- in our congregation to take a step of faith and risk and do something that's uncomfortable because God calls you to do it. All right, would you guys show them some love today? Uh, thanks so much, guys. I mean, I, I, I don't have to spell it out for you. You saw it there, right? Like God's called us to do this. And the more we learn to see those around us whose life experience might be different than us, the more we spend time with them, the more time we uh, spend talking with them, having coffee and breakfast with them, the more we realize that our neighbors are very much like us. They've got hopes. They've got dreams. They've got stories of difficulty. And isn't it interesting throughout the scripture in the New Testament, you know, when Jesus gathers the disciples together, you know what they oftentimes did? They ate. They had a meal. They feasted. They'd have a good drink. You and I can bring the kingdom to so many people by being hospitable, by inviting them to share a part of our lives, by sharing a part of our lives with them. And oftentimes, it just requires us to look around. It could be your neighbor across the street, your neighbor in your apartment complex down the hallway. It could be somebody downtown in this in the opportunity. And so here's the, here's the prayer, and here's the question I want us to think about and reflect on for a little bit. Father, who have you put around me, and how, or how have you resourced me so that I could reflect the goodness of you and share your gospel with, share the good news with? So let's take a moment and ask, God, who might you want me to be a neighbor to. Father, I think about the woman described in the Gospel of Mark as having this physical condition, this abnormality that made her a bit of a social outcast, but also kind of excluded from temple worship and how desperate she was uh, to meet you in the extraordinary shock on the audience when you turn and engaged with her as a person with intrinsic value and dignity and worthy of love. Father, help us to see with your eyes, to see not just the surface level of what circumstances people might find themselves in, but help us to see your image imprinted in them, black, white, citizenship status, poor, rich, uh, life choices like ours or different of ours, help us to see you in them. Help us to see as friends to pursue. <clears throat> help us to see your kingdom in all these areas. Help us to be neighbors who get off our animals, go across the street into the ditch where we find someone who might be categorized as an enemy and do what we can to bring wellness and wholeness. Help us to be extravagant with the good news of the gospel, this, this testimony of grace, that it is not our performance, our worth, or our background that gets us into the presence of you, Lord, but it is your love. It is Emmanuel, God, who came to be a neighbor and to be near us and has offered us his son freely so that we might have life in you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right. All right, so uh, we have one more story. Chris, why don't you come on up? And I am so proud of the people who are coming up. Do you realize how intimidating you are? Uh, I told them all that you probably all carried tomatoes in your pocketbooks, you know, whatever, and you could throw them. Uh, But Chris, come on, have a seat. There you go. But I appreciate their courage to share their story. This is Chris Kime. Chris, where's Chip at? Chip, you in here? There's Chip. All right. Husband, handsome man. Nebraska fan. 
Uh, but we love having you guys a part of our church. And so, Chris, your story, I think, is um, symbolic of a lot of people in this room's story in that you grew up uh, with a notion of religion and with God, but your relationship with Jesus wasn't personal. Tell us a little bit about kind of that journey for you. Um, yeah, so I grew up um, in church every single Sunday. My dad was Catholic. His whole family had always, everybody was Catholic. Um, my mom was Methodist. Um, I even went to Catholic school until the sixth grade, and we moved, and then we started going to the Methodist church. And so really for me growing up, um, it was kind of just religion. It wasn't really my faith or anything that we talked about at home. My parents are wonderful people. I'm not trying to belittle them, but it just wasn't mm. something that was personal to me. It was kind of just a list of sacraments or things that you were checking off a list and really just wanting to be a good person. Yeah. And so you, you could, that could be your story if you're a Catholic or Baptist like me. It's, it's easy for church, God, to simply be a place that you go and you check off a list. Uh, but uh, how did that translate? You know, you, you grew up in that environment. Then what was faith like for you, like after high school, into college, young adult years? Um, I was really absent. Um, I d did not go to church through college. Um, I still try to be a good person, but going to church was not something that was important to me. Um, we got married, and we had, through um, one of my coworkers, had been recommended to go to fellowship. It was a great place for young adults. And so we started going, but we really just went on the holidays and mm -hmm. the major events. Um, and it wasn't really until I had Caitlin that suddenly I wasn't working anymore and I was home with this miracle and um, I just felt like there had to be something more and I knew about a group called Moms and More that was a bunch of other moms in the same walk of life and um, so I started going to Moms and More um, and I guess that really got a hold of me. I, we had Cohen and Kylie so I was probably a part of Moms and More for five years, easily. Um, and so God's working on me bit by bit mm -hmm. through that. Um, they started asking me to help organize the breakfast. Or, you know, they kept giving me little jobs, each one with a little bit more responsibility. And... Um, the last job that they asked me was if I would lead one of the small groups. And um, I was kind of like, I don't know, I mean, I guess, but the mentor mom um, asked me to go to coffee with her to like just chat a little bit before, um, before my term or whatever mm -hmm. started. And so um, I remember meeting her at Einstein Brothers Bagels not really for sure what we were going to talk about, um, but it turns out that she wanted to take some time with just me because she, through the different things that I had said to her along the way, she wasn't for sure that I had ever made the decision of being saved. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when she said that to me, it, it was kind of hurtful because... Mm -hmm. um, I don't know it's like somebody telling you like you're not good enough mm. or but she was she was right like I was baptized as an infant and it was never really um, a personal mm. relationship and so I went home that day and I mean I I did what she told me to do I prayed the prayer that she told me to pray and I cried and um but I felt changed mm -hmm. from that day. And um, I knew that going forward, when somebody asked me, I would have an answer and mm -hmm. I would know in my heart. Yeah. So two things there that stand out to me. First of all, 
Yeah, that, that probably seems like, oh, wow, offensive, but how loving and courageous for a friend to say, hey, I want to press into this. And is this just religion like you brought up with, or is this relationship with Jesus? Is this understanding the gospel been personalized between you? So that's incredible. And then there's that, that moment of conversion that's a hard to explain and formalize, but God does something in your heart, and, and it changes. Um, but there was still this disconnect between you and the church, and you, you shared with me that, you know, you go uh, back out to the Midwest, and there's this small church, and you spend a week there, and you just experience this community that it's like, man, you, you want to be a part of that, and so you decide, when we get back to Tennessee, we're going to find that, so pick up with us there, and what it looked like to find a spiritual community. Um, yeah, so we have family that lives in Nebraska, and one summer after we came back, I, I don't even know, something just clicked, and obviously it was God, but I was like, man, that small church really made me feel welcome and at home, and I knew that I had heard about a plant church in the Pellissippi Corridor, and I'm like, I, I got on the computer and I looked it up, and um, I was like, they meet at Carnes High School, it's right around the corner, it's at 10 o'clock, we're going. And so, it was in July, and um, the whole family came and people welcomed us when we came in and like immediately it just felt like home. And um, I'm pretty sure it was the camping trip sign up. And <laughs> I think we signed up for the camping trip the very first day yeah. we ever came here. Yeah, so if you're new uh, and you wanna get plugged in and involved, I've got great news for you. Registration for this year's camping trip is live. So you go to fellowshipknox.org, go to Pellissippi Campus, you can register for the camping trip. September 13, 14, put that on your calendar. So you go to the camping trip. Yeah, I mean, I just people. thought, this is what we like. We like being outdoors, so we're going to sign up for the camping trip, and we're going to get to know people who like the same stuff that we like, and we're going to hmm. have friends. And... Um, and it worked. I mean, it was super fun. I think that was the year that it poured mm, rain. Yeah, I remember that one. I remember. Lots of people, lots of people rode off camping tent. forever after that, but a few stayed. <clears throat> I think Hannah floated on her mm. bed in her yeah. tent. And, um, we got close to each other, though. Mm -hmm. You got close. So uh, you get plugged into a life group, and then someone asks you, uh, Kyle asks you to take on a volunteer role here. Tell us a little bit about how that was pivotal, pivotal, pivotal in your journey. Um, yeah, Kyle asked me if I would help organize the teacher appreciation luncheon and um when he first asked me i was like you've got the wrong person not me i i can't do that and he was like no i'm pretty sure you can like you do this all pro dads thing and i i know you can do this and i was like well all right like that's pretty cool if you think i can do it then i'll try and so I, um, I tried, and we had that, and and it was great. We haven't done it again though, so. I well, we know. did it a little differently. <laughs> we did it. We just didn't do it on Sunday. Okay. Um, but. Well I played, Chris. Well played. <laughs> I tried. Um, no, but I think what made me, what made that impactful for me was. Um, I don't think I've ever been to a church where the pastor knows my name, knows something that I might be good about, or is even somebody that I would call my friend. And so I think it was, um, it just That's special. made me feel valuable. And so <clears throat> once we get you on the hook and you can show up, prove yourself, we're going to ask you to do something else. And so then we ask you and Chip to start to teach our fourth and fifth graders. And at first, you know, you've kind of felt like, well, okay, I'll, I'll volunteer, we'll fill the role, we'll do the job. But along the line, something happened that showed you that, you know, that participating in teaching fourth and fifth graders is more than just volunteering and filling, filling a role. Uh-huh. Um, so it was a baptism Sunday, and we were watching one of the children that was one of the fourth and fifth graders getting baptized. And when she was asked who helped get her to this point, she said, Chip and I. Mm -hmm. And um, immediately makes you tear up. But 
it was like a switch went off and it was like, you know what, we're, we're not just volunteering. We're not reading the lesson the night before and coming up with a couple games to like fill a spot. Like we are, we are helping bring other people, kids to get to know Jesus. And yeah. so it was kind of like a, this is more than just volunteering. Absolutely. This is making disciples. This is engaging in God's mission. And to make disciples, you have to be a disciple yourself. So you, you part of the journey for you also is to learn, is to become disciples. So tell a little bit about how that's shaped. So Christy asked me um, over a year ago probably if I would um, go through a book study with her. And... Um, I said yes, and um, we have been getting together. Sometimes we're good, and we get together like regularly, but life is busy, and mm -hmm. sometimes there's more time in between. But um, we always, she gives me an assignment, and um, the the book is where you you read some of the book, and then you stop, and there's questions, and it sends you to the Bible, and then you answer the questions, and then you read some more, and so it, it gets you like really engaged, mm -hmm. and. Um, I think that my knowledge base has grown mm. tremendously. Um, I, her keeping me accountable mm. helps me um, make sure I set time aside to sit down and I just, um, I feel like I've gained some confidence. Like mm. from the beginning of the book, now we're almost done with it. I can tell like some of what I've been reading is starting to stick and I'm remembering it and um, and so and I've also gotten a great friend out of it. So. Mm, sweet. And that's the beauty when we talk about uh, being disciples who make disciples so that people can make disciples. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about you being invested in. The more you're invested in, the more you can invest in the fourth and fifth graders and now students. And, but here's the beauty of it. You don't have to know everything. So yeah, when you experience fourth and fifth grade, what did you experience? I mean that those kids are really smart. <laughs> I mean, they, we start talking and then I'm like, wait, what? Like, I did not know that the earth is only 2,000 yeah. years old so, or whatever. Yeah. Like, so that's beauty. It so they teach me probably more than I teach them. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's the stretching. That's the beauty of the mission. So you don't have to have it all together. But now you see God work, and you're working with some of our middle school and high school students, and these girls have an opportunity now to, to come to you and, and share because you're the cool mom who does crazy stuff. I'm just as much of a kid as they are. Yeah. But, yeah, even um, Believe Bus Ride, we're playing the um, heads-up game or whatever yeah. that's called with the phone, and... They get to like the Bible trivia one. I'm like, no, no, not me. You guys do it. And then they're like, no, Chris, you can do it. You can do it. And then they like cheer me on when I know the answer. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> well, Chris, thanks for being so faithful to serve. And guys, would you show Chris some love? <laughs> so let's take a minute. I want you to ask, who am I allowing to disciple me? And and who am I discipling? Who has God put around you that you can invest in and pour your life into? Heavenly Father, I want to give you thanks today for parents who were faithful to do time in the Bible and prayer with their kids, even though we were a little bit squirrely and didn't always pay attention. I thank you for Tommy and Brenda Marler, uh, Terry Copeland. I thank you for David Snow and Randy Scallions, people that my friends in this room will never know, but uh, every bit of who I am today is that product of them investing in me, discipling me, caring enough about me to 
invite me to her meal or challenge me in the scripture or believe in me. God, give us the courage to do the same for others. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Krista, come on up. We're going to wrap up with uh, not so much a story, but a pretty significant announcement of what it means to be engaged in God's mission and obedient to what he calls us to do. So uh, Fellowship, Pellissippi, we're about four and a half years old. And so four and a half years ago, you heard John and Hannah describe about this pioneer team that came together. Uh, If you're new to our church, Christy was actually the founder of our fellowship kids ministry. So uh, most of what you see was pioneered by her. And then uh, a couple years ago, Sarah Lankford took the reins and has just been so faithful to do such a good job. But Christy's heart for children's ministry really never waned. As a matter of fact, she began and created a coaching network here in Knoxville where she has equipped and trained other children's leaders, put together some uh, resources that actually have been used at Exponential, which you guys probably don't know what Exponential is, but it's a large church planning conference that resources other people who do what we do as launch new congregations. And her and Kyle have taught and instructed lots of other uh, children's ministry leaders. Uh, But recently, one of our sister churches, our Fellowship Middlebrook location, has been without a children's pastor for some time and has looked for three or four months for someone who could fill that role and provide the leadership that was necessary to both lead and shepherd the staff and the volunteers, but also all of the children's there. And they have found an excellent leader in Christy Landis. So there's part of us that are super excited, Christy, because we know how capable you are. We've seen uh, your work here in our community. And then there's part of us that's sad because Sunday mornings will look a little bit different without you at the front there, greeting our parents and stuff. But uh, would you all do me a favor and just uh, encourage Christy today in the hallway when you see her there. Give her your love. Give her a hug. And would you pray for her? She'll start next week and, and begin this journey. And if you've ever started a new job or a new adventure, it's, it's a lot. But we're excited for you. And it's okay. And I'm not going to make you talk unless you want to. I'll say it. Yes. I just love you all, and I'm not going anywhere. Just Sunday mornings are going to look different, so that's all. But I love you guys. So. <laughs> Would you show Christy that you love her? Uh, I'm excited about the partnership, how she's going to continue to be able to help grow and nurture other people. Let's pray for her right now and kind of commission her, and then uh, we'll continue on. Father, like from the very beginning, this is how your church worked. It sent out Barnabas, and it sent out Timothy, and it sent out Paul, and sent out others. Lord, your mission and your glory is what our hearts are for, and I know this has been hard for Christy, but she has answered yes to your call and stepped into this step of obedience. So, Lord, we pray for your favor and your blessing on her life, on her leadership. We thank you for this collection, this fellowship of churches called Fellowship. Lord, would you continue to work your mighty ways through ordinary people like us to accomplish your extraordinary purposes. We will give you every bit of the praise because you are worthy of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you, Christine. All right, church. Why don't you stand up with me? Stretch out a little bit. Hey, tonight, uh, we're actually this uh, early afternoon, however you think about time, uh, we're going to be over at McPhee Park. We're taking over the place. Over like 160 of you are registered, so it's going to be a lot of fun. We can't wait to see you. Thanks so much for being on mission. I, rec- I want you to know I recognize something, that to- what we saw on the stage today is symbolic of what many of you are engaged in. So I want to say thank you to those who are engaged in the kingdom. And for those who maybe got a little nudge and inspiration to say yes, say yes to Jesus. He'll be with you all the way. Grace and peace. We'll see you soon.